Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Kids, K through 3rd, can head to the back. I see Heather back there. She'll be helping you get downstairs. And any other children, toddler, infants can head downstairs also. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to be reading the first 26 verses in this chapter. Uh, There's a Bible in front of you. That Bible's a little bit of a different translation than I'll be preaching from this morning. If you'd like to see word for word exactly what I'm going to be preaching from, there's copies of the ESV in the back. Larry's got a few. You can put your hand in the air. He'd be happy to bring you you one. Just by way of of note, those uh, NIVs that are sitting in front of you are slowly going to begin to go away. Um, We're going to transfer to go over to the ESV so that we can all be in one accord as we sit down and look at this together. If you have any questions about that, I'd be happy, happy to talk to you, happy to talk to you about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, is where we'll be this morning. The the fun thing about being a parent of young children is that we oftentimes, my wife and I, get to see very clearly how our family is taking shape, how it's growing, how our children's personalities are beginning to flourish to blossom a little bit, six-year-old, four-year-old a little bit, two-year-old, yes, a lot, a lot of sass there, and then uh, seven-month-old twins, and even their personalities are coming forward, and we see that our family is taking shape. Things are happening as people develop in our family, as our children develop, and even as Rebecca and I grow in our understanding of what it means to be parents, and what it means to love our children, what it means to disciple them and point them to Jesus in our home and what's good and what works and what doesn't and those sorts of things like as we process together our lives in our home paints a beautiful picture for us of how God is forming and shaping. Similarly, the local church exists and kind of happens the same way. In the four-ish, a little bit less than four years of Buffalo City Church's existence, we've seen a lot of formation happening, a lot of people discover how they fit together in this body. The reality is, though, that in human history, I'm going to make a broad brush statement right here, in human history, it would seem like there's no time like the present that has people feeling more angst about how they fit in, about how and where they, they actually work together with other people. It's funny that thinking about this and processing through this this week because of our text, but also just thinking through the fact that some people have just given up entirely. And if you go on social media, you usually see something like, you're unique, just be you, whatever anyone else says, just whatever, leave them alone. But we, we find a lot of angst. And I think, again, it's radically interesting. I think it boils down to a lot in our culture, just decision fatigue. When I was 17, 18, 19, and I was graduating high school, I was told that I needed to figure out what was going to happen with the rest of my life. (laughs) My, My frontal lobe was like seven to 10 years away from being fully developed, and people were in my face telling me that I needed to figure out exactly what I needed to do. And so we are faced with these choices all the time. Again, I mean, when I was 19, I thought I knew everything. But that frontal lobe still, again, had seven years of development in front of it. I thought I knew most things. But the question, what do you want to do with your life for the next 60 to 70 years, seems a little daunting for an 18-year-old, sometimes earlier. A quick Google search shows tons of posts about how to figure out what you want to do with your life. Suggestions about writing a personal manifesto. I don't know if any of you have written personal manifestos. I haven't. Discovering what you're passionate about. That's a good process. Thinking about your five-year plan. There's a comedian that I like. He, He said, he was talking about job interviews. He said, you frequently get a question at a job interview that says, where do you see yourself in five years? And he said, celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question. I think for most people, though, that's kind of how they feel. I literally have no idea what's going to be happening in five years. And if I thought for one instant five years ago that this is where it would be today, I think it would probably be called you crazy. And so we feel angst and uncertainty about who we are and the world that we live in. Now, if you're beyond the early stages in life, if you're on the, in the further along 
seasoned category. You may think, I have processed through that. I'm fine. I'm doing well. But the reality, again, is that our world is relatively uncertain and things come and go very quickly. People in their 50s and 60s oftentimes find themselves laid off or without a job and then they're asking themselves, what's next? The workplace environment has changed dramatically in the last just three, four years, probably the last 24 hours. Technology-driven and people struggle to find their footing. The realities of the uncertain world are present at all stages of life. And one of the amazing beauties of how God communicates in his word is how keenly he addresses human concern. And so when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see the apostle Paul addressing human concern here. Maybe not necessarily expressed by the Corinthians themselves, but we're constantly prone to asking questions about who we are and what's going on around us. And for the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Holy Spirit had come to them. And they had begun to experience some pretty significant manifestations of the Holy Spirit among them. And so when we get here, we see Paul giving practical instruction about the purposes of the experiences that they're having. And how they should shape and form and how they should function out of them. Let me read the text for us before I go too much farther because it would be good to see the words in front of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll read the first 26 verses. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the church in Corinth. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterances of wisdom, and another utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, by, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body would be an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving great honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And so these words this morning as they come to us through the Apostle Paul demonstrate something very clearly to us that Paul wants to communicate, again, through the Holy Spirit. We see a handful of ideas here. We see unity, but we also see diversity. We see uniqueness, but we see coming together, fitting together, and forming one body. And so form and function are sort of the words that we want to hang on this morning. 
form is the shape that we take as individuals of the local church. What do we look like? What's important to us? How is it changing or transforming us? And then function is the practical outworking. What does it look like to function as the body of Christ, say, in Jamestown, North Dakota? People say if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, then it's a duck. I don't know why it's a duck, but, or what the example is a duck, but people will know how we are or who we are because of the way that we're being formed or are formed and how we function. And so a verse that we've considered a lot as we look at 1 Corinthians is John chapter 13, verse 35, where Jesus says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All people will know who Jesus' disciples are. That's their form. Disciples of Jesus. By the love for one another. That's the function. That's the outworking. Disciples of Jesus love one another. If the love for the body is absent, then there is no, there is no discipleship. Disciples of Jesus love one another. Our form and our function. So this text then, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the first 26 verses here, really become an identity text for us. Who are we? What are we doing? It's an identity text for both you and me, but then also us together. And it marries these ideas together very clearly. Now, before we hop in further, this text, again, here's another case where I think the headings in your Bible may not serve you all that well. Right at the beginning of chapter 12, you see spiritual gifts. And while there certainly is a spiritual gift or spiritual gifts listed in this text, the primary thrust of what's going on here is, is a little bit different. The primary thrust of what Paul is writing about is, is, is more concerned with the form and function of the local church. It's more ecclesial and less individual. Now, not that spiritual gifts aren't unimportant. In fact, they're very important, and we're going to see how they play into this. A lot of ink has been spilled over the course of the last several hundred years over this idea of spiritual gifts. And maybe you've been in context and heard words like continuationism or cessationism or something everywhere in between. We're not going to key on those very heavily, and not at all even this morning. However, we do want to ask the question, why does Paul include this list here? Why does Paul give us a list of spiritual gifts? gifts given to us by the Spirit of Christ. Again, it's not necessarily to dive into the nitty-gritty of each one because there's lots of views and how to define them is sometimes argued. But the one thing we must agree on as a local church, not what they are, but why they exist. That's key. And so we'll get to that. But for our purposes this morning, I'm going to break this down into three ideas, and actually the first one is going to stand alone, and the second two are going to kind of bleed together a little bit. But we see it even in the title of the sermon, One Spirit, One Body, and Many Members. Those are the three points. Again, the last two will kind of bite them off at the same time. So we want to consider as the local church that there is one spirit. Now again, your experience may vary when it comes to church and when we talk about the Holy Spirit from the place where it's on a list of dirty words that never get said, all the way to uh, an overemphasis that is the only word that ever gets said. You may be somewhere in that range, probably somewhere closer to the middle, but, but those extremes do exist in local churches. And so just consider with me at the beginning of this text, verses 1 through 3. Paul tells the Corinthians that he doesn't want the, the Corinthians to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to be uninformed about spiritual gifts. Now, the interesting thing is the word gifts there. We see that in our translation. Um, Paul, actually, this idea that's contained here is spiritual experiences. I don't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual experiences you have. Again, because the Corinthians were experiencing manifestations of the Spirit that were very incredible. Again, we see it in this list, working of miracles, prophecy, tongues. But in particular, the Corinthians were, we're going to find this out as we walk through the next several chapters, the Corinthians were misusing their spiritual gifts, especially the gifts of the tongue. How could you misuse a spiritual gift, you ask? Paul wants to get a few things out of the way here. But what he's doing first is appealing to their former life. 
How could we misuse a spiritual gift, we say? Paul tells us. You know that you were pagans. You were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. He's telling them all the way back. Remember, if you go all the way back to chapter 3, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. So manifestations of the Spirit are coming to the Corinthians, but they're still acting immaturely. Paul says, I fed you with milk in chapter 3, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in human way? So verse 2 says, you, were, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Like, led astray by mute idols. Things that had no ability to speak truth in your life. They were led astray. Essentially, Paul is saying, you just acted on your impulses. It was all about you. It was only about you and about nothing else. And so he says, they were led astray. And again, we've seen through chapters 1 through 11, that all sounds like a similar problem for the Corinthians, right? That they're only thinking about themselves. Last week we saw the Lord's Supper. They're only thinking about themselves when they approach the table. The social leader are ignoring those who sat at the foot of the table. They didn't get the food. They were unable to eat. There wasn't anything left for them. Well, others acted sumptuously. And so, again, the, the ideas and the concepts here continue through. Stop thinking about yourself exclusively, Paul says. I don't want you to be uninformed about the spiritual gifts or spiritual experiences that you, you are having. And then in verse 3, he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. So the Corinthians' lack of maturity, even as we saw in chapter 3, is causing them to still act like people who are following mute idols, despite these spiritual experiences they're having. And the Holy Spirit had been given to them, though. And how do we know? We ask that question. Well, how do we know? If they're still acting immaturely, how do we know that the Spirit of Christ has been given to them? Paul says it in verse 3. Because they openly confess that Jesus is Lord. If you have the Spirit, you can't say Jesus is accursed. And if you don't have the Spirit, you can't say Jesus is Lord. Paul would write it in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The true confession that Jesus is the Christ can only come through the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. There are people who can say the words, but if they believe it in their heart, the confession will be true, not only in their words, but in their life as well. And so Paul had witnessed the confession of Jesus' lordship by the Corinthians, and now it's time to start using the gifts that come along with the Holy Spirit, like those who are not pagans, but those who are mature in Christ. So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means, it means this, that there is a recognition that everyone who is in Christ, everyone, if you're in Christ, is given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives everyone a spiritual gift. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you have a spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a helper from the Father and His Son, Jesus And it is important to note that the Spirit is given to those who are in Christ as a gift. Jesus promises the Spirit to his disciples in John chapter 14, verse 26. He says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Word of God comes to mind. The Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is our Helper. He will instruct and he will Bring to mind the things that Jesus has said. I'm sure many of you have read and recited the Nicene Creed at some point in your life. The third section of the Nicene Creed starts out this way. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. And with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the orthodox understanding of of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works. He proceeds 
from the Father and the Son. He is a gift given to us. So the Spirit comes to all those who are in Christ at the moment they trust Jesus. And with the gift of the Spirit that is given to those who are in Christ, this Spirit brings a gift or gifts of his own to the life of the believer. Now, there are a couple of places in the New Testament where where Paul talks about spiritual gifts. Two of them found here in chapter 12. but The the second one we'll see at the end of this, this section leading into verse 13, which is where we'll be next week. And then in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. And the gifts that are listed are this. Prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits, or maybe we call it discernment. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, working of miracles, gifts of healing, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues, teaching, exhorting, service, leading, giving, mercy, helping, administering, apostles, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. These are the gifts listed in the New Testament. You'll probably see some notable exceptions there. Oftentimes we call things that aren't listed as spiritual gifts in Scripture spiritual gifts. We want to make note of of this list. When you look at this list, or when you think about these words that I've just said, you may not be able to define them all. That's fine. But, I would say that we need to note two things. Two things here. There are many gifts that the Spirit can give, but the Spirit gives those gifts according to His will and not ours. Look at verse 11. All these are empowered by one in the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So the gifts given to us are given by the Holy Spirit according to his will and not ours. And then the second thing that we need to acknowledge here is the spiritual gift you are given is given to you for a purpose. It's given to you for the common good. Look at verse 7. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, this is where the Corinthians were missing the mark. They saw these manifestations of the Spirit given to them in order that they might boost their own status in the context of the local church. But someone might look at them and say, What? Look at that guy. Look at that woman. Look at how spiritual they are. Paul says that's not the case. These are given to you in order that you understand that you are meant to build up the body. They're not giving to you to serve yourself or to, for others to see how impressive you are or for personal gain, but for the benefit of the local church. So the Holy Spirit gives gifts to every believer in order that he or she may exercise that gift for the common good of the church so that the church may be built up and further established on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. That is the goal of the Holy Spirit giving gifts to everyone who is in Christ. Common good of the church, further establishment on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ. So here, do you see then how Paul is showing the Corinthians how God is transforming them and shaping them into something? And how that has the form they are taking and the functions that flow out. So God is like the potter here, and the Corinthian church was the lump of clay. If you were to just put a lump of clay in front of you and pour water on it, the water would just run off. But God is working that lump together. He's forming it into a vessel so that it can hold water, that can fulfill its purpose as a bowl or a pitcher or a pot. And one of the tools God chooses to use and is given to us through the Holy Spirit is gifts, spiritual gifts. And then the shape of the the context of the local church comes into view, a bowl or a pitcher or a pot. And this indistinguishable lump of clay is taking shape. But not only do they need to be formed into a vessel for honorable use, but they also need to begin to function in the way that they were intended. What good is a bowl if you can't pour your lucky charms into it? (laughs) What good is a pitcher? I don't know. Oh, our kids had lucky charms. That's why that was in my mind. Okay. 
What good is a pitcher if you're not going to make lemonade? Again, they need to be formed into a vessel for honorable use. These spiritual gifts are given to them for the common good in order to build up the church and establish it firmly on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of these things. They might be taking the form, but then they need to also walk into the function that they're given. They were intended to be a body of believers that showed the world who God was and how the world could know God. So, they're called to do the work of building up the body with the gifts of the Spirit in order to accomplish the mission. And this is really a grace to us. This is what's incredible to me about 1 Corinthians, is that there are so many things here that are so relatable to us. We get into this mindset and this mode that, hey, this is about me, and I'm going to start doing this thing, and it's going to be good. Like, hey, I'm going to live this spiritual life. I'm going to walk around and, and talk about how spiritual I am and tell everybody how much I pray and how much I read my Bible and how wonderful I am and how I'm God's gift to the church. This is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. This is not, not at all why God is gifting people through the Holy Spirit. And so for us as the local church, as Buffalo City Church, just like he was talking to the Corinthian church, he's giving us tools, spiritual gifts. And maybe you've never thought about this. That's okay. Maybe you've never thought about the fact that God is using or working in you through his Holy Spirit to bring about a gift for the common good, not just for yourself, but for the common good, for the good of the local church. So that leads us then to the second idea this oneness in the body and the many members that make up the body. So, Paul says, just like there is one spirit, there is to be one body. Unity. Again, common theme that we've seen in 1 Corinthians. If we look at verse 14 through the end of the chapter, really, verse 26, we didn't get to the end of the chapter, but through verse 26, the individual members of the body are not the same. So this is where there's diversity in the body. We're not meant to be this homogenous cyborg thing. We're like meant to be very clearly diverse, and we're meant to celebrate the diversity that exists as the Holy Spirit works in us and gifts us. So there is one body. Nonetheless, the individual members are not the same. We're a diverse group of people given diverse gifts by the Holy Spirit. But again, one body. And Paul uses this body metaphor very intentionally. Our bodies have many parts and members, and they all belong. They all belong. Paul makes the point clear. The foot doesn't say, I'm not a hand, so I'm not part of the body. The ear doesn't say, I'm not an eye, so I'm not part of the body. Because we would lose our ability to hear if we were all eyes, and we'd lose our ability to smell if we were all ears. But look at verse 18 with me. Paul says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. God arranges the members as he chooses. As he chooses. In our physical bodies, this is true. The arrangement of my face is not something that I did. And this happens also in our church body. Because our society is so crippling, cripplingly introspective about how we fit and where we work and our uniqueness and all of these different questions that get thrown at us, it can be difficult to determine purpose and place in this world. And we often miss the simple truth that exists right here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I'm, I'm sad. I've heard lots of times, it's like, I don't, I don't fit here in Buffalo City Church. I've heard that said. And that saddens me. But I, I want to say to you, if, if you're here this morning and you're in Christ and have identified with this body of believers, then you've been given a gift by the Holy Spirit and he's arranging us together as he chooses and as he desires. You may be saying something like, I don't, I don't fit here. I'm not quite sure how to plug in or where to go or what to do. Let me assure you that verse 21 and verse 22 
are important. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Oftentimes when I sit down with someone who says, I don't feel like I fit here, oftentimes that's usually going on in their own head. There's a lot of people who are reaching out to them and want to get to know them and help them fit. And yet there's difficulty in coming to and drawing conclusions. Maybe there's an overemphasis on the uniqueness that we experience or think that we should be experiencing. Rather, the body has many parts and all are meant to function together, yet is one body. And so, again, a diverse group of people given diverse gifts by the Spirit. So Paul uses this metaphor very intentionally. Our bodies have many parts, many members, and they all belong. Paul makes the point very clear. So if you're in Christ, you've identified with this body of believers, he's got you here for a purpose, and he's arranging you together in the way that he desires. This is a practical application here. I think pretty frequently we think of church membership. We don't talk about church membership a lot on Sunday mornings, but I'm going to do it here because the text actually says the word member. We don't talk about church membership a lot. And sometimes we think about church membership. But I want to give you a point of practical application before we move on. If you're here and you haven't thought about church membership, consider church membership. This isn't me like telling you that, but I want you to consider it. Many of you have been attending BCC for nearly three years of our existence, four years of our existence, but have expressed little, little desire to be connected formally to the body. Now, again, this is an important thing for us because God is shaping us into a vessel for God's purposes. But I think oftentimes we, we forget that taking spiritual responsibility for the sight or the hearing or the smell of the whole body doesn't just come through simple acts of service. Responsibility and serving are two very separate things. And so I want to ask you this morning to, to, to consider membership. Our oneness is in jeopardy when we have detached eyes and ears and hands and feet. And, and people have argued this almost ad nauseum with me. Membership is a man-made structure. But no, it's not. It's right here in front of us. If you, if you define membership like paying dues to gain an entrance into a club or social organization or just allocating dollars to find a venue to express your own opinion, that's absolutely true. Then membership is a man-made structure. But Paul is actually talking about membership here. This is the discussion of body parts. Paul is talking about partnership. When you trust Jesus, you become part of the universal church. That's big C church. All of believers for all of time. Universal church. And the universal church composed of everyone who has ever trusted Jesus in the year 101 or the year 1854 or the year 1054. Every corner of the globe, every man, woman, and child is part of the universal, universal capital C church. But Christians oftentimes overemphasize the, the capital C church because it's much less messy to identify there. It's much less messy to identify there than to identify in the context of the local church with people who have body odor and who live and do things that are weird. I think I wore deodorant. Christians here in, the, in 1 Corinthians 12 are called to be active in their local church. This letter is not written to the universal church. It's written to a very specific expression of the local church in Corinth. The capital C church, the universal church, we certainly, as part of the universal church, are, are benefiting greatly from what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and yet it is very specifically written to a local church. And he's saying, you make up one another as the body. Paul is calling the Corinthians into meaningful partnership, into meaningful membership. He's telling them not to be detached 
in verses 15 and 16. Look at those with me. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make it, it would not make it any less part of the body. Because I can't play an instrument. Or because I'm not very good at communicating. Then I shouldn't probably be part of the body. He's telling them not to be detached. So Paul is defining then membership for us. Not in terms of dues and social organization and Robert's rules of order. But he's defining membership by envisioning a group of men and women committed to following Jesus, loving one another, and holding one another accountable in the way God has shaped them to fit together into the body of Christ. This is not just a structural, functional argument. It is a deeply and profoundly spiritual one. God has made you something. He's gifted you in a particular way to exist here. Don't be an eye or an ear or a nose that's not attached to the body. You may actually be robbing the body of a key sense of hearing or sight or smell. So again, the the the, the admonition here is, would you consider membership? And I'm saying that gently, but please consider that Paul assumes here the high degree of commitment to the local church. The New Testament has no category for a Christian that is detached from the local church. There's cost involved. Paul gets that. But is there a cost too high in taking the form that God intends for the local church? And if you're like, well, what is membership? What does that even look like? We just ask for a handful of things. That you're a follower of Jesus. That's first and foremost. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't even have the spirit of Christ. And and so there's no reason to even pursue this spiritual understanding of what it means to be connected in the life of the local church. So first, that you're a follower of Jesus. That we'd participate together regularly in the ordinances. Baptism, excuse me, holy cow. Baptism in the Lord's Supper that you would commit to be together regularly with and serving the body in venues offered like community group or one-on-one discipleship, equipping opportunities, Bible studies, workshops. That you would steward your resources well and act generously towards the local church. That you'd commit to making Jesus the center of your home. And then that you would be on mission, seeking to make disciples in your workplace, neighborhood, community, etc. That's That's it. Those are deeply, spiritually profound things that we say, yeah, we want to be together on these things. We want to hold one another accountable to these things. That's what membership is. It's seeing that we together fit together as a body and that these are things that we're all called together as a local church. These things are, according to God's word, ways he is shaping us as a local church. And unity in direction shows oneness in the body. And sure, again, there are objections that we can make, but let me say this. The discussion of spiritual gifts and the use of them is designed for the common good of the local church. Don't be a church mercenary who pops in and out and gives yourself when it's convenient or when the cost-benefit analysis is favorable. All these little economics majors. Is it, is it, is it going to benefit me at all? If not, then no. The beauty of this text is that it clearly communicates that you have a place here in the local church. Friends, that was, that's what this is about. It's about saying you have a place here in the local church. That you are being gifted by the Holy Spirit something that is essential to the life, to the form, to the function of Buffalo City Church. That's what this is saying. And look at what Paul writes in the last section of this text, verses 21 through 26. We cannot say, look at what he says. The eye cannot say to the hand, he doesn't say shouldn't. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. We cannot say to each other that we have no need for this person or that person. That's not ours to decide. Because it is God, through his spirit, who apportions to each one a gift as he wills and arranges 
all the members of the body in verse 18, each one as he chooses. So, the weaker, seemingly insignificant among us is indispensable, has something to offer. Have you come to church? Have you ever been in the context of the church and felt small or weak? Like, how could I possibly contribute in a space like this? God is composing the body of this local church in such a way to bring honor to those who would seem to be capable or incapable of honor. And so we, we should rejoice together when a member, when a partner, when a part of the body is honored. When God sees fit to use the, the most unlikely of people for his purposes to build up the body. <laughs> Very rarely in scripture does God use the, if ever, the strongest, most exciting, most dynamic person to do the things that are most important. He takes broken, beat up, ugly vessels and turns them into honorable ones. And Paul, right at the end of this section in 26, says, if one member suffers, all suffers together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. If you get poked in the eye, everything goes red alert. If you stub your big toe, you're suddenly awake. So as we close our time this morning, let's draw just a few conclusions here and think about some application. First, this all, again, this all starts, and it must be stated again and again and again and again, this all starts with Jesus. The gospel empowers us to fit together as the local church, as the body of Christ. This is given again in verse 3, no one who... No one speaking in the Spirit of God has ever said Jesus is a curse, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to fit in the body, maybe you're here this morning and you're trying to fit in the body, but Jesus isn't your Lord, this is not going to happen. So if you're wondering, why is this not working for me? Maybe you need to consider that you don't know Jesus is Lord. I heard a sermon this week that was very incredibly helpful to me on Romans 8 by a gentleman by the name of Ray Ortland Jr. And he was preaching about Romans 8, which is maybe the, the most important chapter in all of Scripture. And, he's, and he was unpacking for his hearers the trajectory that we take in sort of a spiritual sense. He said, we all start out as people in this world as morally indifferent. We're just morally indifferent. Whatever's happening in this world, we're just, nah. Whatever, I'm going to live for me, I'm going to do myself, I'm going to, whatever it's going to be, I'm just going to, it's going to make, I'm, going to, it, I'm living for me. Whatever happens externally, whatever feels right, I'm doing it. And then he says, oftentimes people will then move from, as they age and they look at the world around them and it's changing rapidly, they'll look around them and they'll move from moral indifference to moral concern. And he made the point very clearly that moral concern does not represent Christian conversion. You have not believed the truth of the gospel if you're just angry about the state of things in the world. In fact, it's quite the opposite. You are not even in a position where your heart is prepared to receive the truth of the gospel. I am afraid, friends, this morning I am afraid that many of you and many people who sit in churches all across our country and the globe this morning are sitting in a place of moral concern. They want their kids to grow up in a place where morality is is the norm. But they have not cultivated or begun to even consider the love of Jesus, the love of God that comes to them in Christ Jesus. And so people go from moral indifference to moral concern, and they're upset and angry at the world and the state of it. But then the next step is moral despair, understanding that they're part of the problem that they're soaked in sin and something needs to change. Something needs to move forward in their own hearts and they need to be a new person, a new creation. There's nothing they can do about the corruption that exists within. So they despair about the world around them and about themselves. And this is the ground 
that the gospel comes to us in. Moral, uh, moral despair. And understanding we cannot make ourselves right with a holy God who stands in a place, in a position, something completely different than us. And that's where the gospel comes to us. Jesus, the perfect son of God, coming to earth, dying the death that we deserved after living a life of perfect obedience according to what God commands us. This death that we deserved, he died in our place in order that we might live for all of eternity in the presence of God, in the, fa- the Father, in never-ending joy. And so for us this morning, the question is, are we just concerned about our community morally? Is that why you're here this morning? Because there's some duty or obligation that you're concerned about. And if we all went to church, we'd all be a little bit better and things would get a little bit better. The reality, though, is that's not the case. And so fitting in in the context of the local church is going to be difficult because it's only followers of Jesus, those who have trusted Jesus, who have repented of their sin, are given the Holy Spirit. And so first, this starts with Jesus. The gospel empowers us to fit together as the local church Because we are in Christ, because we've been joined with Christ, and because we've been given the Holy Spirit. Second thing, if you are in Christ, you have a spiritual gift. If you're in Christ, you have a spiritual gift and are called to exercise it in the local church for the common good. Maybe you know what your spiritual gift is. Awesome. Great. That's wonderful. The next step is, how can I use this spiritual gift with what's going on in Buffalo City Church? But maybe you don't know what your spiritual gift is. That's fine, too. And you're wondering how to determine what it is. What is my spiritual gift, you say? Based on what Paul writes here in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it would seem that there is a good question to ask. That question, interestingly enough, is not, what is my spiritual gift? The question, interestingly enough, is, how can I promote the good of others in the local church? How can I build up the body? Answer those, ask those questions in prayer and try things. Are those around you hurting? Seek to care for them. Maybe your spiritual gift is mercy. Are there those apparent, er, there apparent errors by individuals or groups in applying the truth in the local church? Seek to see those errors corrected by speaking truth and love. Maybe your gift is discernment. Are you able to clearly and dynamically communicate the truth of God's word Seek to help others understand who God is in the discipleship relationships that you have. Maybe you have the gift of teaching. Our son, Abel, he's in kindergarten. He's learning to ride a bike. What does that process look like? He gets up on the bike and rides it, and then he falls down. We didn't give him a book and said, here, son, digest this book, and then there will be a written exam, and then he gets an A+. And then we're like, wow, you know how to ride your bike. No, he doesn't know how to ride his bike. He knows about riding a bike, but he doesn't know how to ride a bike until his Feet hit the pedals until he's cruising around town. A lot of people know about how the Spirit has gifted them, but they don't know because exactly what it is, because their spiritual muscles are atrophied. They've been fed the same lie that the Corinthians believed, this gift is about me. No, it's not. It's about the oneness of the body and the unique role that you play in promoting that oneness. So find your spiritual gift through prayer and looking for opportunities to build up the body and exercise that gift for the common good. Community groups, great place to do this. Bible studies, workshops, go to group this week and seek the wisdom of others. What is my gift? Are they being built up through the gift? There's a better place to start. Do some test runs. This is the best way to do this. Start practicing what you know now. Again, if you know what your spiritual gift, don't leave it on that in your head. Put it into practice. We live in an information age. We have a lot of information. I know what Al Pacino's birthday is, but what, why does that matter? Tell me why it matters. Similarly, if you know what your spiritual gift is, put it into practice. God is shaping us as a body. Fact. He is doing it by gifting individual members in the spirit. Fact. What is my purpose and role in the local church? Don't leave that information in your head. Start doing it. 
If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, start with the simple one another commands given in Scripture. Love one another, encourage one another, bail one another's burdens, forgive one another, don't grumble against one another, serve one another. Start there. Start doing those things. God will make his gift given to you through the Holy Spirit apparent to you there. We're not going to do spiritual gifts inventories or tests. We're going to live into the commands of Christ and seek to build up the church and watch our spiritual gifts become apparent. Two more things. Celebrate the gifts in others and exercise them. I'm happy you're a foot. I'm happy you're an eye. I'm so happy you have the gifts that you do. People are encouraged when we celebrate the Holy Spirit activity in their lives as they seek to build up the body. This week, take a moment. Send a text. Make a phone call. Say, hey, I'm encouraged by the way that God is working in you. I see this spiritual gift in you. How has God gifted them in the Spirit, and how is it evident to you? Tell them. I think a lot of really nice thoughts about my wife. Somehow, between my brain and my mouth, there's a disconnect. There's like, and I have to like say, hey, honey, I love you, and I think you're wonderful, and here are the 10 reasons that I've thought about that, but somehow haven't made it to my mouth yet. The same is true for us as the local church. Share with someone how you've seen the Holy Spirit has seen fit to gift them and how you've been encouraged by their exercising that gift in the body. Fourth, be okay getting your spiritual gift wrong and be aware that you have multiple or it might change. This is the reality. Because of the form that we're taking and because of that's an always changing form, the formation process is never complete. As a local church, God may gift you differently at different times for the common good of the local church. Be okay hearing, I really don't think the Holy Spirit is gifting you in this way or has gifted you in this way. That's fine. Verse 11, according to how he wills, not you will, be cool with it. Last thing, consider membership. Talked about this. A dynamic faith family exists where people commit themselves to others, the health and the vitality of the local church as a whole where people take spiritual responsibility for the local church. Paul wanted the Corinthians to be formed into a body of believers that use the gifts of the Spirit, not for personal gain or personal glory, but for their proper function as a member of the body that has a key role. Just one last second. Let's marvel at this text together because this is incredible. This is incredible that God doesn't make us into a bunch of homogenous people coming together, doing the exact same thing, chanting the exact same blah, blah, blah. He gives us unique roles, specifically shaping us and forming us, giving every one of us who is in Christ a gift from the Holy Spirit to be used for the common good. Let me pray.